right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of the Talking with Tara Shuck podcast. My name is Will Tara Shuck, T.S. and Thomas, A-R-A-S-H-U-K. A big thank you to my guest last week, Adrian McIntyre. Man, we went a little long, but luckily got enough, enough content where I could take a week off because I'm on, I was on vacations, but now I am back. And today, my guest is a man by the name of John Cooper. John is the host of CounterPoints Politics, a leftist content creator covering a large area of topics such as abortion rights, open borders, universal health care, universal basic health uh, income, justice, justice system reform. I'm really fucking this one up. Systemic inequality and much, much more. I want to talk about his process, how he thinks, how he creates content on TikTok. He's about 60,000 views. That's about 60,000 more. Then I got, we'll hash out whatever, just, whatever we disagree on, and this is going to be a lot of fun. John, my man, another Harsha boy. It's been, uh, yes. it's, I, I saw you a long time ago when I started on TikTok about a year ago. I was like, I know this kid. I know him from somewhere, and I somehow found you on Facebook. I was like, oh, yeah, Harsha boy. One day I'll get mm-hmm. him on, and that day is today. John, my man, how are you? Good to see you. Doing well, doing well. Don't want to be that guy, but you said 60,000 views, 60,000 followers, followers on TikTok, yes. millions followers. of views. So, of views. <laughs> you don't want to think you had you just scraped some guy from Hofstra up for your audience here. No, absolutely not. I, did, I meant, I did mean, I didn't mean to say followers. I'm sitting pretty at like 430, 200,000 views, but millions of views. Excellent, excellent. So, yeah, tell me this. Uh, let's just let's just start there. You are the host of Counterpoints Politics. So, just tell me this, you know. How they got that idea, why I saw it on TikTok, and where else people can find you. You know, um, it, it actually started as I, I wanted to create content. You know, I we we both went to Hofstra. I, you were for radio, I believe I was for TV and film. Um, I have a creative background, ended up more in the business side of things, uh, you know, video production, marketing, and wanted a creative outlet for myself. Um, and also at the same time, wanted to, you know, start a political career. Always been interested in politics, figured a good way to, you know, kill two birds with one stone was to make political content, grow a following that would give me optionality in the future, right? Um, so I just kind of committed to doing one TikTok a day um, on different topics and current events and things that I cared about. Um, and, you know, committing to that, obviously in the beginning, they kind of sucked, uh, they got better. Um, and you know, at, at a certain point it started catching on with people. Um, now I have, as you said, 60,000 followers, millions of views starting Instagram more recently, that's already up to 20,000 followers. Um, so doing well, um, you can get me on TikTok at counterpoint politics. Instagram is counterpoint underscore politics. Those are the two places people can find me. Yeah, I, I saw kind of points. It's like, ooh, that's not, I don't know, it's probably, I don't know if it's taken on YouTube, but I know how I get my news is Breaking Points, and they have a Wednesday show, okay. which is called Counterpoints. Um, mm-hmm. But, so you started on TikTok. That's, that's interesting, because TikTok was the last place I went to. Um, then again, I've been doing, I've been doing podcasting since 2015, so I started on iTunes. So funny mm-hmm. how that works out. And now you don't have a podcast, right? You're just, Counterpoints Politics is strictly on TikTok, and I guess now Instagram Reels. Yes, I do not have a podcast right now. However, um, in very shortly, I'll be starting a show with two other content creators called The Left Wing, um, which will be in podcast form as well as a, a YouTube channel. Um, so that'll be coming soon uh, to, to a screen near you. Awesome. Excellent. Yeah, because, man, this listen to your TikToks. It's like this man needs a podcast. This man needs to be speaking in front of a microphone for like an hour because you are very, very articulate. You're clearly very intelligent. You're very well thought out on your points and your arguments. The content I like specifically is when you're on here facing this way, saying one point, and then you counter the conversation on the other side, wearing different clothes, and from the, you know, you're looking at each other. You're talking with yourself. I think that mm-hmm. is probably your best 
content, at least what I like to watch. Um, so why was that the most effective way to actually do the content? Well, I mean, I'm not going to say that I invented it. There's, you know, right. different, I've, I got that from different people. However, uh, a lot of times we get comments on there's like, oh, you're debating yourself because you can't be anyone else. No, that's not the reason I made those videos. Every, like every counterpiece to that, every argument I'm arguing against, I get from my comments from talking to people in the comments and mm. my DMs on Twitter mm. or whatever. And then I construct those into a narrative, which I then, you know, give the other side to why it's wrong. And yes, it's scripted. Obviously, I'm making scripted content. It's going to be biased toward my point. But the reason that I do that is because it provides a narrative. When I'm just sitting here talking to someone yeah. and just talking at the screen, that can be effective. I have gotten big videos that way. But the more just consistently engaging content is when you provide a narrative, when you provide characters. And simply doing that can turn a difficult, boring concept to like, universal basic income into something that is easier for the common person to understand who isn't well-versed in, you know, the jargon of economics or healthcare, whatever the topic might be. No, that's very smart. Take, take the comments and just write, write a script from it. Cause that's literally what people are saying to each other. So I, I definitely think that's very smart. But you did see the keyword bias. So mm -hmm. I think, I think this in general, when you're talking about politics, talking about news, talking about this kind of stuff we're going to talk about, it's very important to lay out, your biases, because everyone is biased. It's impossible to not mm -hmm. be biased. So you, you, you self-described as a lefty. Um, I don't know what I am, to be honest. Like, I, I like to think of myself as a populist libertarian, if there is such a thing. So, like, I do, I do support, like, a, a universal basic income. I support a public option for healthcare. I don't necessarily support um, straight socialized medicine, but a public option I think is phenomenal because I think the public service can also be a phenomenal option. I like choices. Um, and mm -hmm. I'm very big on just personal freedoms and rights. Now, does that make me a leftist or a right, right person? I don't know. I think sometimes you can define yourself one way, but at the end of the day, if you're big enough, people are going to label you what they want to label you, and that's what you are. So mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter. So how do you, what are your biases? How do you self-identify? Yeah. So, you know, and that's always an interesting question, right? Like, how do you self-identify? How do you take all of these things that every individual has slightly differently and put it into an easy to understand term and for the entire population to get what you're about? I mean, the, the easiest thing, as you said, I'm a leftist. I identify as a progressive. The thing that like I'll say to get more specific is I'm a progressive utilitarian. Um, I believe that we should always be striving to do the best we can for the greater good. Um, and that is kind of the goal of life, of society, of having a government in general. Um, and so all of my kind of policy philosophies just stem from that idea. What is what creates the greatest good um, for the people in this world in our and, and in our country? Um, the other, you know, philosophy I identify as. Um, which some people recognize is called Ubuntu, um, which is, if you're familiar with Nelson Mandela, um, it was a philosophy that he preached, uh, and it is a uh, you know West African word for that means I am because we are. And that's the simple acknowledgement that everything I do in life has been influenced by millions of people who came before me, and there's no such thing as a self-made man. We all receive help from someone else. You, you can't become a billionaire selling products to dead people, right? Um, so, you know, it's, it's at some level, we all need society to, you know, raise the tide and lift all boats, and that's the types of policies that I typically get behind. Yeah, this sounds, sounds like, an, like an advanced version of, of populism. 
Yeah, no, I, I think that libertarian populism and what I describe myself as, um, I, we probably agree on a lot of things. We might have some disagreements. It's If anyone's ever heard of horseshoe theory, mm -hmm. um, it's the theory that when you go far enough left or right on the political spectrum, you begin to agree yep. more than the people in the center. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that is very true in a lot of cases. I think I have my problems with libertarianism in as, general. As do I. Um, but I think that the you probably have the same problems as I do, and we can agree on a lot of things. Um, more the not ex extremism of libertarianism isn't quite the word, but the dogmatic adherence to no government is sort of usually my problem with libertarianism. But when you acknowledge government can have solutions, we just need to minimize the reductions of our freedoms. I can usually get behind that. Yeah, because like I like I don't mind calling myself libertarian, but just like don't, don't think of me as like a crazy libertarian. Because some libertarians are just like I just kind of want laissez faire. But like, no, 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 that doesn't work either. <laughs> that that mm -hmm. is terrible. Like no, you need you need government. I hate I hate government. I despise government, especially in its current form. But I understand the necessity that government is supposed to provide certain things, and certain libertarians kind of just like no, let the free market do everything. But it's like well, no. You can't do that either. Power power needs checks and balances from mm -hmm. all forms. Like we have checks and balances in government, but we also need checks and balances in corporations with relation yep. to the government. And sometimes libertarians can kind of get lost in that ethos of, yeah, but free market capitalism is good. I, I, I very much agree. I think that the thing that the, my issue with libertarianism in general is and i don't want to make this a whole discussion on libertarianism but but I, I think that the problem is that they think that freedom from government is somehow more important than freedom from private control and to me as a utilitarian freedom is freedom i don't care who's restricting my freedom whether it's the government or whether it's a private corporation if a gun's to my head a gun's to my head um and that's you know i, I want the most freedom possible and that sometimes means even to a libertarian, you got to do like even the most libertarian libertarian would be like, yeah, no, we do need to come together for defense. You know, like that that's important. If we don't have a military, other countries can just invade us. So we got to have something right, you know. Um, but yeah, so when researching the show, I think it's another important thing you got to ask people when you're talking about news and politics. Where do you get your news? I, because I, I'm kind of, it's kind of weird. I, I don't like asking people that question, where do you get your news? It's like, well, am I ashamed of where I get my news? So let me ask you, like, where, who do you, who is your trusted news source? Because trusted news source doesn't really mean anything anymore, unfortunately. So who, who do you, who do you trust for your news? I mean, I, I think that that like trusted news, like you have to acknowledge that, ev like you said, everyone has their bias. There, There's no news source where I'm like, this is the, the silver bullet, you know, this is what's going to be true all the time. No, I get your news from a variety of sources. I say I like treating news like Wikipedia, where have your tent poles that you like. I like Axios a lot just because it presents news in a very easy to understand and clear format. Um, uh, it doesn't cover as much as you would like, but, you know, it, I, I like jumping off from there. I just follow a lot of reporters whose reporting I like on Twitter. Um, and that's where I get a lot of it from. I get it from podcasts. I get it from, and I write, watch right-wing media too. One, because I got to stay informed about what my opposition is arguing um, in order to make those sort of videos. Um, but also because I want to make sure I'm not just, you know, in an egg, in an eggshell, in a bubble um, and, and making sure that I see every news story from different angles. Um, I, I can't say there's, you know, one in, in particular besides Axios, I'll just read in the morning. Um, 
and Twitter in general. But I, I encourage everyone to do that because if you're getting your news source from one place, it's going to be biased. It just it doesn't matter what the place is. If you think your place is perfect, you're wrong. Um, and I'll say that about my favorite places, too. Um, so, you know, I, I preach variety um, as opposed to any one specific thing. No, def- definitely variety. Like I, my, my YouTube feed is mostly just people I like independent media. Um, if I was going to read, I do like Matt Taibbi. I do like Glenn, Green- Glenn Greenwald. Um, there is a f- there are a few others who I think journalists are really good. I even like I even like Mehdi Hassan to be honest. I know him mm-hmm. and Matt Taibbi had went back and forth, but Mehdi Hassan has had very very good segments that I've seen covered on like YouTube, like a Breaking Points with Crystal and Sager or Kyle Kalinske with Secular Talk or even a Jimmy Dore who I think is silly at times, but if you can get past his his um, hyperbole, there's some good stuff in there. And then there's like, I used to I used to actually not be a fan is a bad word, but I used to have a lot more respect for Steven Crowder. And it's just recently, the past maybe two or three years, it's like he's just gone so far off the deep end. Like the Change My Mind stuff I think was... Very, very good and very, very useful. But other than that, it's kind of like, man, you are just dog shit. And I hope you, I hope he knows he's dog shit because he's just dog shit. It, it's funny <laughs> you say that. I've, I, well, for obviously, like, was it last week? I was going off on Steven Crowder a lot um, for obvious yeah. reasons. But like, I had the same, I never liked, I never agreed with Steven Crowder really on anything. But I did like that content that he made to change your mind. I thought it was, I, watched it to learn the techniques that he used to make these engaging debates. Um, And sometimes he was fairly respectful and debating in good faith. Sometimes he was using techniques that were a little shady. Um, You know, anytime you go onto a college campus and debate college students, when you're a fully informed grown man who does this for a living, you know, you're you're fighting with an advantage Um, and people should recognize that when watching it. But I did feel like back in those days, he was at least his own man doing his own thing. Whereas I feel like, Nowadays, he's drank the Kool-Aid too much yeah. um, and and has become what he used to stand against, um, you know, which happens to a lot of people. But, yeah, I definitely think that he's – I don't think he argues in good faith as much as he used to. Well, in his defense, he would like to debate the professors, right? But the professors mm-hmm. won't see him. The colleges don't want him there. And, you know, you could say he's out debating the college kids. Well, that's who you should be talking to. That's who anybody should be talking to to kind of get different viewpoints that he has. Now, I, I skip a lot of his stuff, but there's some things occasionally I go, okay, that's a good point. Right? I, there's some things you can take from everything. Like even, like even like I'll go back to Jimmy Dore, um, the Nord Stream Pipeline. From the very beginning, he was like, the U.S. did this. And I was like, great, Jimmy, where's the evidence? He's kind of like, I know it, here it is, but it's never like the full evidence. And yeah, a few months later, there is some evidence. So, yeah, I guess he was kind of right, maybe. But you still need that evidence from a news source. But it doesn't mean you just shouldn't just watch him. Because you can take, you can as long as you understand someone's biases and realize, okay, this is hyperbole, you can still kind of pick and cherry pick the truths from an argument from anybody. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, Jimmy Dore, like, like every, as you said, everyone's going to be biased. You can appreciate people that you disagree with and people that you agree with, as long as you acknowledge both of their biases. Um, and there's value in learning what other people are saying, even if it's wrong, um, or, or as you said, he's jumping to a conclusion, that just because he's jumping to a conclusion doesn't necessarily mean he's wrong. You know, And, and I'm not going to speak on the Nord Stream because I haven't 
uh, read up on it and recently enough to say that that's a, that's a hot topic to make declarative statements on, like we're just saying. But um, I, I do think that, you know, everyone, it's best to assume that someone's acting in good faith. You know, it's best to assume that the person's making a legitimate argument and that you, because if you just dismiss it, then you're not challenging your own beliefs. Like if you just dismiss everything a conservative says or everything a liberal says, and you're like, ah, well, of course you say that you're part of the X group here. You're not challenging your own beliefs. You're not actually testing them. Um, and you should be listening to people outside of, you know, outside of your own side of the aisle. Right. Right. Which is another reason I don't like to self-identify. It's like, well, it, mm-hmm. what's, what's the issue? What is the issue at hand? What are we talking about? And the, you do have to challenge your beliefs. And the best way I challenge my beliefs is through podcasting, right? I mm-hmm. know you are going to challenge some of my beliefs. And that's a good thing. That's how I learn and grow. And I can be like, okay, I agree with you. You convinced me. Or I can be like, yeah, I understand your perspective. Respectfully disagree. And um, for example, a few weeks ago, I had Desmond Ryan on the podcast, who is a former Toronto police detective now turned author. Uh, and defund mm-hmm. the police came up because we're talking about police, so naturally defund's going to come up. Mm-hmm. Um, and my big thing with defund the police is we agreed on mental health. Mental health needs funding. Mental health needs help from the police side as well as the, the people they are policing side. Now, my I never understood why should the money come from the police department to fund mental health. That was always my thing, and from the left or the right, I never really heard a good argument for it. That was like made sense to me. And he was mm-hmm. just like, you're taking the burden off of the police and putting it on the mental workers. It makes sense that they would foot the bill for it because they don't, they don't necessarily need that money anymore. It's like, mm-hmm. agree, disagree. That's a valid point. You know, that is, that is the best explanation I heard. I can't say I still full agree with it, but I can't say he's wrong in that either. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I think that's an excellent point. I kind of want to read up on what he has to say now, because I, I think that is the better point. I think the defund the police movement is a movement that comes out of a bubble, like we said, like as a leftist who's read Marx, who like understands all of the complexities of all of this, defund the police makes sense because it's like, oh, people who I talk to every day, we understand that the state uses the police to enforce certain things about the capitalist hierarchy, and we're fighting against that, so therefore we have to defund the police. And that argument makes sense to someone who spends all their time in the leftist bubble, but to the average American, they're like, what do you mean to fund the police? They're the people we call when we're in trouble. They help us. you know. And it's, like, it's such a dumb argument. But when, as the police officer made it sound like, the police aren't necessarily supposed to do everything. Why would the why would you send a police officer to deal with a mental health issue? You know, why not send a social service worker, someone who's actually trained to do that sort of thing? If you send a guy with a gun to handle a situation that he's unable, untrained to handle, of course people are gonna die. <laughs> like, like, like it's just you're putting the by doing that you're putting the police in a bad situation. It's not necessarily that a cop is racist or that they want to hurt someone. It's that they don't have the training to deal with certain things and we shouldn't be asking them to deal with it. Um, And so we should create better services that we don't just pile all onto the police. And I I think the police, that that, uh, police officer who, his name I forget right now, um, I'll listen back to it later so I can look him him up. Um, I think he made a great point there. Yeah, it is is a good point. But to to your point as well with, the social worker or the or the clinical mm-hmm. physician or mental health worker. Yes, you know, mental health worker is suit to do that job in the proper setting, in a mm-hmm. clinical setting. So just as a police officer is meant to be a mental health worker, mental health worker is meant to be a cop either. 
So like I would never send a mental health worker on the street to answer a call. No, 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 no. That person needs to be brought into like a doctor's office, a setting that is appropriate for mental health work, especially if they're all erratic. The last thing, you know, when you're angry, the last thing you want to hear is calm down. Like that doesn't, that doesn't work either, and it's dangerous. You need someone like, it, I don't know how you would do it, but like my mother was a, was a, was a social worker, and she worked with, um, she worked with people, like dangerous people in a, in a mental hospital, and there were always mm-hmm. guards there just in case something mm-hmm. happened. Now, she would be there in her setting, but outside the door was an officer just in case. So yeah. it's like that, that, I guess, like with the defund the police movement or even police reform, so, well, police officers still need to be in those roles. It's just a mm-hmm. matter of how do we do that and how do we get that person who's having an episode safely into a position where that clinical social worker or psychologist can do their job. Yeah, and I think that this is like an easy one to understand, and, and I'm going to push back a little on what you said about, Please. you know, the, the in a clinical setting because think about EMTs. Like EMTs are trained to handle physical medical trauma in the field mm-hmm. uh, and in settings that are not clinical at all. You can do the same thing with mental health, you know, like just because it's physical versus mental health. You can have a professional, like think of, I, again, I, I don't actually know the terminology here within the field, but I'm sure it exists. But think of like a, a negotiator, you know, you see movies with like hostile negotiations. Yep. That person is kind of what we're describing. And obviously that's a very intense situation, but that's a person who's trained to deal with a variety of mental health issues on the fly in a high intensity, people could die situation. And that person does work for the police, but they also work as a mental health professional. You know, oftentimes, like they, they have multiple roles because their skill set is applicable to many things. And you you could break that down in many different ways. And if it ends up that we're spending more on this stuff than we're currently spending on police budgets, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, I just think that we need to distribute our resources in a reasonable way. And as I said, like, when a, you know, someone is causing a disturbance because it's, a you know, an autistic child, you know, and they're freaking out and people are worried. We've seen situations where that happens and the cop ends up killing them because they don't know how to handle that situation where if you send it, sent a, uh, you know, a, a special aid teacher, I forget the exact terminology, but like to, to that autistic child, they could just handle it like that because they handle it every day, you know? Um, and so that's, that's kind of what we're talking about here. And even beyond that with police, it's like, the way we structure our policing makes a huge difference. If we, when you see, when you see like small towns who have police who live in the town, conflict with police rarely happens. But when you have big cities where the police are coming in from the suburbs and working in the cities and they're working in areas with people they do not know, they're like those police officers are going to be more scared. You know, like I'm scared when I'm in a part of town that I'm not, I haven't been before and it looks kind of scary. You know, everyone is. But if you hire police officers from within the communities to police the communities themselves, you see better results. And a change just like that doesn't have to defund the police in any way, shape, or form, but it would create better results that are more equitable to the communities that are being policed. Um, and, And I think that oftentimes in this debate, it's one side versus the other when there is such a wide spectrum of policies that most reasonable people will agree on. And if we just talked about them more, we might actually be able to move forward and find a solution. It doesn't have to be us versus them. You know what I mean? Oh, a thousand percent. And a lot of it, a lot of it, like de- defund the police is just a terrible slogan. I think most mm-hmm. people would agree with that. Um, but I do think change needs to be there. When it comes to money, most of the time it's just reallocating. You know, mm-hmm. you already had, the money is already there. You just need to spend it more wisely. It's the same thing I do with taxes. Should we raise or lower taxes? Well, 
Where is the money currently going? If you can't answer that question, the answer is don't raise or lower them. It's answer that question first. It's like, mm-hmm. we, we probably have enough tax money to end homelessness. We have enough tax money to afford Medicare for all. We probably do. It's not probably. We we definitely have yeah. enough tax money. It's, it's, a couple a couple tanks uh, off the military budget will end homelessness in a major city. Yeah, like, yeah. It, it or 10% of, 10% of what we give into Ukraine can, exactly. can, can easily end homelessness three times over. But, I, I think know, I think it's something like twenty billion dollars to, to end homelessness. Like it, again, it's a lot of money, but it's not that much money. You know what I mean? It's not money we don't spend or print on other things anyway. Mm-hmm. So yeah. at the end of the day, it's 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 not defund. It's reallocate. It's just reallocation, yeah. and you need people to come together on that. And that's very hard. It's very hard to talk to people. Now you are mm-hmm. you are a progressive. You, um. What's it like dealing with other progressives? Because you critique Biden very fairly. Because I don't consider Biden progressive at all. I barely consider Bernie Sanders or AOC progressive anymore. They say they are. They say the right things. But their actions say very, very different things. So is it hard for you as a progressive to critique other progressives? For sure. And I mean, that's when you're dealing with the most difficult conversations, honestly. Uh, Like, I, I feel like, especially on the left, I'm sure this happens on the right, too. I just don't exist there. Like, it can get very infighty and it can it can become a, a situation where you attack the people closest to you because they're closest to you um you know like and and that sucks um but you know for the most part i try and build relationships i try and sit down every conversation i have with people and you know i i kind of put it like this like everyone i i advocate for things like systemic racism and how you know, uh, you know, th- there's massive differentials in the amount of wealth black people have versus the amount of wealth white people have, not because necessarily any one specific person is racist, but because the accumulation of policies over the past hundreds of years have put these people in a worse position from the moment they're born, you know, and they go to a bad school, they don't get taught well, they don't get taught personal finance, they don't get taught whatever, um, how to be successful. They they only see adults around them who are also in poverty uh, and they don't get the same teachings and learning and, and, and valuable lessons that I've received through no fault of either of our own, right? And I think a lot of progressives understand that when it comes to disenfranchised minorities, um, but they don't understand that when it comes to anyone else. They don't understand that someone could hold a conservative position because they were just had shitty teachers. You know, they grew up in a conservative bubble. They weren't exposed to these ideas. Um, And everyone is on their own path of learning and understanding, and you should approach them as such. And that's how I try and treat my conversation. So when I talk to people on the left or on the right, no, no matter what, I'll get vitriol thrown at me. And I feel like it's my job to just be patient and calm with them. And until we can just have a normal level headed conversation, um, I get attacked from both the left and the right. Both have a lot of animosity. Um, but you know, when I get attacked from the left, it does hurt more, you know, because it's like, bro, we should be agreeing. <laughs> like, like you can disagree with what I'm saying, but what drop the personal attacks. We should be building a community here, not tearing each other down. And unfortunately, that that does happen quite often. Yeah, it does. I think I do. I I agree. Like, there's even with people, you know, people on YouTube that I do follow. There is infighting. Like the force to vote. Um, 2020, Nancy Pelosi was up for speakership again. That was a big, big. Big battle with between progressives on the left. Mm-hmm. Um, should we force the vote? 
to not and withhold your vote for Nancy Pelosi to get a Medicare for all vote on the floor. Now, would it have passed? No, it wouldn't have. Medicare for all would not have passed. You would not have accomplished your goal. That's not the point, though, in my opinion. This is my opinion now. You would have mm-hmm. gotten a, a vote. What, so what is the point of Congress? They, they, they vote on things. That's really what they're supposed to do. And you get an idea of, okay, where is that? And you want to put people, put money where their mouth is. And we just saw it this past election with McCarthy. They forced a vote. You want to you be speakership? You got to do these concessions. Now, are those going to happen? Some of them have, some of them might. You know, we see, we'll see what the debt ceiling. But do you remember the forced to vote thing? And with progressives specifically, how progressives attacked that issue where, where, did you, where did you fall on that? So, uh, you know, my, my memory of the specific mechanics of that issue is a little hazy, but in general, I'll speak more generally. Um, I think that there are two people, like two camps in this is there's progressives who are for electoralism and there's progressives who want to burn the whole system down. Um, and the progressives who want to burn the whole system down, they often do say things like, oh, you shouldn't vote for Biden in the general because he's just, you know, a stopgap mechanism that's going to slowly cause, you know, conservative progress, whatever. And it's like, sure, but you're playing with people's lives, like real lives in this situation. Like they like they at least could treat this with the weight it deserves of people are going to die that wouldn't otherwise have if you don't vote for, you know, the, the Democrat in the general. You don't have to support Democrats, the DNC, and you know, as a whole, but you should always be fighting to win electorally. Like that is the goal of the game. If you don't play the game, the only other option is armed revolution. And I'm not picking up a gun and killing anyone. (laughs) The vast majority of people aren't. And in fact, nonviolent revolutions are twice as successful as violent revolutions. Mm -hmm. Work the electoral system, play the game. It's the first time in human history that our ruling class has given the general population tools to overthrow them peacefully. Um, And you should take advantage of that um, instead of just oh, well, I can't support this because, you know, like there are people who, I'll never vote for Nancy Pelosi because she's X, Y, Z, which I don't like Nancy Pelosi, but like, come I, on. I don't, I don't be, think you ever should vote. I don't think you ever should vote. For, I mean, obviously we can't vote for Nancy Pelosi. We're not in her district. We're not yeah, millionaires. Exactly. But, but, you know, <laughs> the idea, the idea of don't vote for Biden because Republican bad, you know, if, if you vote that way and that's why you voted, hey man, I get it. Like, I, I get it. Trump is bad, right? And Republicans are mm-hmm. out of their fucking mind. Democrats are useless, but Republicans are out of their mind. I think that's a, that's fair in my mind. <laughs> However. It's the, it's the old Simpsons meme, like the Democrats. Like, we, we oh, hate yeah, you we, and, and want to yes, make everything worse. Democrats, we can't through. govern and Yeah, we can't govern. <laughs> dude, that episode came out in 1994, and it's, it's still, it's it's still accurate. It's still yeah. accurate. It's fucking nuts. But my point is... Um, Democrats know that mentality exists. They're going to vote for us because they're not going to vote for them. Now, that doesn't work because they're never going to change. So if you play the game, you're just going to continue playing their game. And they had that mentality in 2016, and look what happened. Trump won. And if Trump just was like, is embraced mail-in voting, guess what? He would have won again. And what's going to happen mm-hmm. in 2024? Who knows? It's going to be Trump versus Biden, most likely, and I still think it's a coin flip. I still think it's a coin flip. So if, you're a, if you are a progressive, yes, play the game. Force the vote. Do what you are elected to do, like an AOC or the, the squad. I'm going to pick on the squad because mm-hmm. it's easier to pick on the squad. You are elected to go there and challenge Pelosi, and you're not doing it. You know, the whole thing mm-hmm. with um, 
what was the 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 the, the, the bill the, the, the um construction bill we can build back better build back better like it was supposed to be the, the two bills in mm-hmm. the progressive the squad just they froze and they got a mm-hmm. shitty bill the infrastructure bill and they just they were playing the game and then they just didn't so mm-hmm. you do have to play the game but you got to play it correctly i think that's where a lot of the infighting is with progressives is that they don't know how to play it correctly because it's saying, oh, I'm going to buddy-buddy with Pelosi and get rewarded for it. No, you're not. You're not. Because they hate you. They fucking hate you. And I think progressives need to realize that. They're not on your side. Mm-hmm. Biden is not on your side if you're a progressive. Yes. And and while that is being said, you know, my my brand name is Counterpoint Politics. I'm going to provide a counterpoint to what Please. you're saying. Well, I generally agree with you that like the squad um, can lack balls. Um, for lack of a better term, um, they uh, to, to look at this like silver lining perspective, and this is something that a lot of people, even like progressives, don't really realize is that. And again, you don't necessarily have to be a socialist if you're a progressive, but like right. the, the movement of socialism is generally aligned with your worldview more than the movement of conservatism, right? So, like, there are more registered socialists, like people registered to a socialist party in this country than at any point in our history. There are more socialist members of Congress, uh, I I believe there's nine of them now, than at any point in our history. We are seeing more labor um, uh, movements, more unions forming in the last two years than at any point in modern history. Um, And there are a lot of reasons to be hopeful. Like, yeah, I, I can criticize the squad all I can, but the progressive movement in general is stronger now than at any point in my lifetime. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean I think we have a very strong position, but it means, hey, I do think that the kind of horseshoe theory that I was talking about before, even the Americans who, like, Americans know they're fed up, you know, Americans hate Congress, they hate the two-party system, and they know that something's got to give, and conservatism in general says, let's keep doing things the same way, Um, and so, like, I think that people across the spectrum identify the right bad guys, right? They identify corporate greed. They identify government corruption. Like these are things that people on the left and the right I see saying all the time. And if we can just kind of get together and like agree, like I I have like a four point system on not fixing everything, but everyone can agree on this and it will help. One, get rid of first past post voting, replace it with ranked choice voting. When you have a winner take all system, you are forced to vote against your opponent instead of for the person you actually want. And that creates the two party system. Let let, let me me pause right there real quick though. On on ranked choice voting, I a thousand percent Mm -hmm. agree with you. I think it's Mm -hmm. very, very effective. Alaska, that is why yep. um what's her name the kooky lady palin didn't uh, didn't yeah. win but then again they did it for new york city may- mayoral election and mm-hmm. it's confusing that is the one mm-hmm. thing i will say about ranked choice voting it's very very confusing please continue it's, it- it's confusing to you now or to us now because yes. we're less used to it if we implement it now our kids will be like yeah no it's just easy like this is how voting works yeah. like, like it's it's not actually like we I believe the, the American population can figure it out. It's going to take a cycle or two, but yeah. it, it, I do think I agree with you. It is, it is the very hmm. much way to do it. They just need someone to market it and sell it better. Yep. <laughs> Cause yep. it, if you break it down, it really is. It makes the most sense, but it's like, wait, there's two rounds. There's three rounds of voting for more than one person. It's just, it's hard to conceptualize, but once it's there, it works. So I agree yep. with you. Ranked yep. choice voting. Number one, that's a great, that's a great start. Mm-hmm. Number two, what you got? Number two is get money out of politics and the citizens United decision and corporate lobbying, 
fun fact for people who don't know it, if um, Amer the American population supports, 0% of the American population supports a bill versus 100% of the American population supports a bill, there's hardly a change in its probability of it becoming law. But if you narrow that population down to just the top 10%, it is a direct correlation between the more people who support the bill, the, the more likely it is to pass. And that is because of lobbying in Congress. Um, so we need to get the money out of politics, stop, you know, end, end corporate lobbying, end Citizens United, and, and uh, stop Congress from being able to uh, trade stock. Um, I think those are positions that the vast majority of Americans on both sides of the aisle will agree with. And if you can, we can unite each other over that, we can force our politicians to adopt those rules. What is it that Dan Crenshaw said? Uh, how are we going to better ourselves? Mm -hmm. Is this like, oh man, I used to like Dan Crenshaw. I used to think he was very reasonable. I thought he said a lot of smart things. I was also a Tulsi person. I liked Tulsi too. Uh, in the past two, three years, both of them just off the deep end completely like, you guys are so stupid. Why would you mm -hmm. say something so stupid? You, you're, you're a public, I think people forget politicians are public servants. They mm -hmm. are not celebrities. They are not supposed to be rich. They are public servants. And I think mm -hmm. this, this, is, this, this is a me idea now. How much would politicians be paid? What's the average income of your state? That's how much you're paid. If the average income of Nebraska is $36,000, guess what? You're getting paid $36,000. Have fun affording an apartment in DC. Try a second job. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, and most of them have second jobs and, and alternate income streams. They're fine. They don't need more. They, as you said, they are public servants. I, public servants. I like to liken our, especially the president. Um, I say I think we should think about him like we think about our head football coaches. Um, if you are unwilling to criticize Biden in the same way that you or Trump or, you know, whoever your guy is yeah. in the same way that you would criticize your head football coach. Like, as you said earlier, like the leftist infighting, I'll get people like yelling at me like, ah, you shouldn't criticize him like this. This is our guy. we got to support him. It's like, just because he's our guy doesn't mean I have to support every decision he makes. I yell at Nick Sirianni all the fucking time on Twitter. It doesn't mean <laughs> that, that like, I don't love the Eagles. You know, I love, I, I yell at him because I want the Eagles to be better. Right. You know? and, and it's the same thing with Biden, with any politician out there. The, the conservatives always say, like, you know, take personal responsibility. I say they need to take personal responsibility as well. The government also needs to take personal responsibility as well as individuals. And only when we're all working together to take personal responsibility, both collectively and personally, will we actually improve and make our, our, our society better. Right. Um, all right. So we have rank, yeah, choice, that, rank choice voting, money out of politics. Rank choice voting, money out of politics. Um, third one is get rid of the electoral college. That's like the the, the most unsupported Ooh. one. Ooh. I feel like okay, yeah, um, yeah, I, yeah. Okay, please. Uh, but with that one, the reason I say get rid of the electoral college is because it basically invalidates the votes of the majority of Americans. You live in New York, so yes. you should understand this. No matter who you vote for for president, it's not going to change the actual effect of your vote. You know, you if you're if you're a conservative in New York you're screwed. If you're a conservative in California, you're screwed. If you're a liberal in Alabama, you're screwed. There's absolutely nothing you can do to actually affect the presidential race. What it people will say, oh, it protects small states. And it's like, no, that's not actually what it does because Alabama isn't good. Like they're always going to vote red. They're a small state, Louisiana, Mississippi, like all of these states are small, but the electoral college hurts them. It only helps the states in our country that are polarized, that are purple. Those are the ones that really matter. And so if we just let everyone have an equal vote in this country, you would end up with a politician that represents the people more instead of just the people of Pennsylvania, Iowa, uh, 
I don't know the other ones. Uh, <laughs> Florida sometimes, Florida, but not so much yeah, anymore. Yeah, it, like, it changes every election. Yeah, but like you know, Pennsylvania, yeah, Ohio, Wisconsin, mm. you know, it, it changes. As we said, it changes every time. But like those purple states are the ones that actually really matter. And if you're voting outside of them, you might as well not even vote. Well, I get that, right? I do understand that. But I see electoral college as a check. It's it's a, it's a check and it's a balance because it it gives the minority more power. Which not, but, more, but it not, doesn't though. Like how does how does it functionally give the minority more power? Because otherwise, most presidential elections would be dictated by California, New York, and like Boston, like Chicago, the cities, right? The cities and cities. It's you gotta have a representative. It's a it's a representative republic democracy. It's, it's democratic republic democracy. It's hybrid of all this bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. So the people in Middle America, the people who live in Alabama, have a voice in this farmers and suburban people. Upstate New York, they have a voice in federal politics. Now, it, for state elections, you know, state senators, conservatives have more of a voice. And, like, especially in New York, upstate New York's all red. West Massachusetts, all red. Northern California, red. So there is the checks and balances there for state elections. But for, I guess for federal elections, specifically president, I get it because it, it, I think you're right. It does give more power to... The, the purple states, as opposed to without electoral college, gives all the power to the blue states. Now, if you're going to ask me who I'd rather have the contrary power be towards, I'd rather be purple. I'd rather be purple than red, or specifically blue. And again— I, I, So I, I think like the argument you're making, like, and I think you kind of just realize it, is that it's a—and and I can get behind the, oh, well, we should go to the center of America, and if we're going to give more important to any state, then it should be the purple ones. And I can agree with that. I just don't think that your value to this country should be determined by what state you live in. I think everyone is created equal and therefore should have an equal vote. You said that cities will determine. No, cities don't determine. People determine. People just happen to live in the in city. Those cities. Like, 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 and, and what you're the arguing point. for is the Senate, which I also think is stupid. Um, but what, what, what you're arguing for is the Senate, it gives smaller states more power, right? But I think it has become to such an absurd degree that someone in California has 67 times less voting power than someone in uh, Wyoming. Um, and like, that's insane. And people were like, oh, well, you have to protect, you know, the states. And it's like states don't vote. They aren't people. They don't matter. They're just arbitrary lines in the sand. You know, they, they don't have to. If, if the state died, no one would cry. But if a person dies, someone would. Right. right. Like that's that, that's that's how I think everyone should have an equal vote. And I don't think that's incredibly. It, it surprises me how contentious of an argument that is, because um, I think that like our very like basic kindergartner brains could be like, oh no, it makes sense that everyone would have an equal vote. And if I move from California to Wyoming, my vote shouldn't be discredited by 67 times mm. or the opposite of that. But yeah. <laughs> I would I would make a compromise in electoral college. If you want to get really electoral college, okay, but presidential needs like a 60% majority to win. <laughs> we, we won't have a president, Will. <laughs> I, know, I, I know, but like, I, I, I don't, I don't think a simple democracy. This is a, this is a principled stance. I can't think of a specific mm-hmm. example, but like a principled stance. I don't think like like a one vote difference should determine anything. I think you should, if you want a majority, if you want to do majority rule, it should be a high majority. Which is why you can talk with the fil- we can talk about the filibuster too. But mm-hmm. I had a friend, I had a friend say that he believes that. The filibuster should be it should be higher. You need if you want to change something, you, you need more people agreeing on things. That's the thing that should actually be changed. Because if it's 50-50, you're just gonna be having constant change back and forth, back and forth, which mm-hmm. isn't gonna solve anything. So if you want to get really like to a college for presidential election, I say it can't be just be 50-50, it should be like 60 or 65. I think that's a so, pretty fair compromise. 
So I disagree with that too. I'm going to steal a term from conservatives where they say run the government like you run a business, right? Right. And if you if you listen to many like business leaders, like big CEOs, big very successful people, one of the things that they say over and over again is if you want to succeed, fail and fail fast. And because the more you fail, the more you learn um, and the more that you can get done. So anything that, and again, there are always checks and balances. I, you know, nothing is an absolute, but I think that systems that make it more difficult to change the opportunity cost of that is learning what works and what doesn't. I would rather try 10 things and have four of them not work than try one thing and have it work. Like it, 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 it to, to me, progress, and I'm a progressive. This is when, when my, to, this is a bit of a tangent, but like when I was like four or five years old, whatever it was, and the, the first presidential election I was going on, we're watching the news, the debates, and I was, I asked my mom, I was like, what's the difference between a Democrat and a Republican? And she, she's an independent. My dad was a, was a Republican at the time. Um, and she's like, well, in general, Democrats want to change things and Republicans want to keep things the way they are. And I think that to this day, that explanation to a, to explain it like I'm five really still fits. Yeah, it does. Um, I agree. And in my mind, I would rather be trying to change things. And even if they don't work, then we know it doesn't work and we can move forward and try something else instead of just doing the same things we're doing now, which is progressively making our country worse. Um, and I think most Americans agree with that. I'll keep, I'll keep to your business. That's the last I'll, part. I'll least. keep to your business <laughs> analogy. Have you, have you ever worked for a startup? Uh, yes, I have. So <laughs> yes, I have. One, I worked right, right out of school, right out of Hofstra. I got, I got the mm-hmm. job. Um, actually, probably this time six years ago, I got the, I got the email saying I was hired. So I had about three weeks left of college left, knowing I was employed. And I gotta tell you, dude, mm-hmm. I didn't go to, I didn't give a fuck about classes. It was the best. <laughs> you know, I just didn't care. But anyway, it was, it was a startup. Their goal was to be the Economist on video, right? Do you know what Cheddar is? Cheddar News. Yeah. So they were gonna. Their main competitor at the time was Cheddar. Now, mm-hmm. uh, a year and a half later, gone, off the face of the earth, unemployed, and it was just a nightmare, right? But what, mm-hmm. what caused the, the destruction of this startup? It was the consistent, constant change. Every, every few months, every few weeks, we were changing and pivoting and pivoting. And if you have a system, especially in government, where as polarized as we are now, think of gun laws. If it was a 50-50 split, it would be restrictive gun laws four years later. Unrestrictive gun laws. Four years later, restrictive gun laws. Four years later, unrestrictive gun laws. In this, nothing would work. It would be a complete mm-hmm. mess. So, especially when times are polarized, this is why I do kind of tend to agree with my friend a little bit. In times of polarized and nobody can agree, keep it as is. Keep it as is until the only thing that's worth changing is something the majority of people agree on, which we would agree the populace is there on most things. The people you elect can't agree on things. Keep it as is. Because the constant change isn't good either. Because if you're just trying to figure it out, especially as a government, you're spending a lot of money you don't have, that's where destruction comes in. I think that I could get more behind restrictions on the congressional level Mm -hmm. if we had more change on the electoral level. And unfortunately, I believe the incumbency win rate in this country in Congress is something around 90%. Yes, Yet Congress in general has an approval rating of, oh God, I haven't looked at it yet, but like I might be able to count it on my fingers <laughs> like now. Like, like, and so like when those two things happen, I, I don't think I'm a crazy person if I say that isn't right. Like that that isn't how things should work, but it is. And so when you have unchanging politicians 
And your argument is, well, we need to, if, if politicians are going to disagree and not change, we need to, you know, slow things down. That's never going to change. Like, like it, just, it just isn't ever, we're never going to end this period of extreme polarization. It, it, if we keep doing things the way we're doing, we're just going to get more polarized. And so I think that there are common sense uh, changes like, you know, term limits and, uh, you know, restrictions on gerrymandering um, and things, things of that degree, age limits, I think are very important because, you know, say what you will, but someone who is 65, 70, 85, isn't going to have a long-term view of this country in the same way that a 30, 40, 50 year old is that represents the actual, you know, majority of the population. Um, and I think that I think uh, legal weed is one of those things that mm -hmm. you know, people talk about where I look around. Biden said he'd legalize weed. The that like I think it's over 65% yep. of the country is yep. cool with legal weed. He's, he his his base would love it. His critics would love it. Why hasn't he done it? Well, oh, he wrote the crime bill. That's why. Yeah, he wrote the crime he, bill. He wrote the he, crime he, bill. He's he's always he's gonna release all those people he put in there, please. And Kamala's his vice president, all the people she put yeah. in there, please. Yeah, like and it's like this would be an easy your your approval rating sucks right now. This would be an easy win for you. Yeah. I sur I was surprised he didn't do it going to the midterms. Like, mm -hmm. but it's because he's an old guy who just does, is not aligned with the average American opinion because he's an octogenarian. Well, remember what he told the donors, nothing will fundamentally change. And oh, yeah. Joe Biden is a status quo boner machine. The only thing that gets his mm -hmm. dick hard is the status quo. But we went through three before we went out of time. Let's go to the fourth one. What's the fourth way to make change? Electoral college, man. That was a good one. That was a good one. Yeah. No, and I think the fourth one, and this is the um, most, I'll say, radical one, is making more of our budget um, up to an at-large vote. Um, and that doesn't necessarily have to mean like everything, but having a small portion of our budget, um, allotted for ballot initiatives where people, and we see this on a local level, um, where when local communities do this, it, and, and this is international as well as local communities within the U S when they appropriate a portion of their budget to be at will on a ballot initiative, um, or, or at, at votes of town hall meetings, whatever it is, it not only does it increase voter participation and civic engagement, it increases people's satisfaction um, with their government. It makes them more willing to pay taxes um, because they know they're going towards a place that they have control over, right? Like in America, we complain about high taxes, but we don't really have that high of a tax rate when it comes to a global standard. But we also feel like we get the least value from our taxes. And so when you have more a little more direct democracy in how our tax money is being spent. Um, it it has shown to increase civic engagement, reduce partisanism, um, uh, and and just make people happier with what their government is providing. Um, so I think that's kind of, that's the fourth most probably most radical position. But I think it's really only radical because it's new. Um, I don't necessarily think it's fundamentally incompatible with what a lot of Americans think. It would be hard to do because, like for example, I actually live in New Jersey, so mm -hmm. New Jersey has a very high property tax rate. But yep. those property taxes fund schools. That's what the tax is designed mm -hmm. to do. So I think a lot of those things might be already built in. But if you're like, hey, man. If every American could just write down five things, 20% of your taxes are going to go to these five things, Americans would all write their, the correct things. Mm -hmm. I trust mm -hmm. the American people to say the right things, be healthcare, education, you know, like, whatever. 
firefighters, mm-hmm. you know, insert whatever they want here. It wouldn't be the military, right? It wouldn't, yeah, it, yeah. you know, some people would say the military and that's fine. If you want to say the military, you think the military should be funded more? Great. You can allocate your money there. But it's the smartest thing mm-hmm. Cardi B ever said. You don't get, you don't get receipts for your taxes, which I think is bullshit. Yeah. It's the only thing you pay yeah. for that you don't get a receipt for. Especially if it goes to the military where they've failed five audits in a row and don't know where our money's going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, I, I get that. And that's why like, it gives people a personal stake. And it's not something that should be instituted federally right away. It's something that should start on more local levels and be tested out and eventually moved up to the federal level. I'm yeah. not, you know, I do think that that sort of change needs to be implemented incrementally. But I do think it's something that would solve a lot of problems, um, both with what, how our money's being spent and how people feel about how our money's being spent. All right. I'm going to wrap this up with one more thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Primaries, Democratic primaries, Republican primaries. I mean, it's Trump versus DeSantis. I'm picking Trump because I think DeSantis has run a terrible campaign, even hasn't announced yet. But I want to stick to the Democrats because you are the leftist. No debates, no RFK, no Marianne. Well, RFK mentioned, but RFK Jr., excuse me. No Marianne mentioned really on mainstream news. You as a progressive, mm-hmm. how much does that bust your chops? Bernie Sanders, day one, we talk about playing politics, got nothing for his endorsement and completely gave Marianne the cold shoulder. If you're a progressive, I'm assuming you're supporting Marianne. As someone who isn't really defined as a progressive, I would also vote for Marianne, to be honest. I think she has great policies. So mm-hmm. Democratic primaries, do, do Democrats love democracy? Is that bullshit too? What do you, th- what do you think? Yeah, no, I, we literally, this was a segment on the left wing. We did a practice run of our first left wing yep. show. And this was a segment we did. And I, 51, per, or it, it judges from poll to poll, but like at least around half of Democrats don't want Biden to run again. And I, th- and Biden said he would be a one-term president and he's coming, he's protracting that promise. And it's like, if 50% of your own voter base doesn't want you to run again, like from the DNC's perspective, how do you look at Joe and go, yeah, we're going to support you? Like that, that that blows my mind. That's just uh, fundamentally undemocratic. And I can understand the pragmatic electoralism reason for not having debates. But like, come on, <laughs> like, like that's not the will of the people. And as public servants, you should be going with the will of the people here and the will of your own party. The, the people running the DNC should can be considered equal votes to the DNC electorate. And that's not what the Democratic Party actually wants. Um, so I think it's bullshit that they aren't having debates. I think it's bullshit that they're just giving it to Joe Biden. I think Joe Biden is going to win no matter what happens because of the massive incumbency advantage of being the president of the United States. But I think the DNC is just rolling the dice because I genuinely believe if Biden runs and anyone but Trump is on the Republican ticket, it's going to be a bloodbath. Um, which I, I, it's going to force me to root for Trump in the, in the Republican primary because I think that DeSantis, you know, you, you might have your problems with how he's running a campaign, but he'll be running against a president who has a very low approval rating. And it, I don't think it's going to go well for Biden unless he's running against Trump, who also had a low approval rating as oh, a president. Oh, DeSantis would destroy um, Joe Biden in the national yeah. election. It wouldn't even be yeah, close. I, it wouldn't be it, close. If I'm a Republican and I, I can't imagine voting for Trump because DeSantis is basically the same thing, like from a policy perspective, and I, I can't understand anything that would say that he would have a better, a worse chance than Trump. Like, I, like I don't think DeSantis me, could beat Trump in a primary, though. That's the problem. I know. I know. It's, it's, it's just crazy, it's crazy. about how, how the politics there works. But uh, yeah, 
I just, I just don't like the main thing about Democrats that I just can't stand is their like their platitudes and like their hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. It's like we are the democracy party now. Don't mind us while we completely ignore democracy. Yeah, it's just like ugh, guys, and it 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 hurts me to see people like on the left defend them. So it's like mm-hmm. Republicans know what they're getting into. It's why I respect Republicans as much as I disagree with them. They know what they're getting. They're not being sold a bill of goods. Democrats are being sold a bill of goods, and they still fall for it. And it's just, it's, I, th- it's I, I think both sides get sold a bill of goods. I, I think that's a little unfair because I, I think Trump, for example, is a wonderful example of this. Where he's like, oh, he, yeah, no, he did I'm sell the, a bill of goods. I'm the elitist outsider. And it's like, you're a goddamn, like, the thing you're known for is being a rich, golden, gilded asshole. Like, that's the thing you're known. You're not the outsider. You're not fighting for the little guy. Like, like, if, like, if you think that Trump would be the guy fighting for the little guy, I don't know what about his branding. <laughs> that you think that, but, like, literally, he dips his house in gold. Like, Jesus Christ. If you wrote a character that, like, like, like dipped their house in gold was running for president and fighting for the little guy it would be known as satire but it happened in reality um and it's fine if you're like you know i i get that but like you know but i do think that that's also selling a bill of goods it's just he, uh, he, he's sold people under the river there you know and i think elon musk is another great example of that not necessarily republican for sure but like he he always goes on about oh well if your if your beliefs are the same as you know the corporate corporate blah blah blah, it's like, dude, you're the richest man on earth. You you are not fighting. You're not the underdog here. <laughs> like it, it blows my mind that people think that way. But you know, I I can't understand everyone in America, or else I would be president. <laughs> yeah, Elon exactly. Elon's another one. He's a free speech warrior who bans journalists from Twitter because they make fun yep. of Jet. So yeah. and I like Elon. I I think overall Elon is a net positive. He's just a dick. He likes to troll, <laughs> and he has his he has his interests that he has to follow. So, I don't. We'll we'll, we'll end it there. We're not going to go on Elon. Uh, we'll bring <laughs> we'll bring it back. My my goal is uh, my, sorry. My rule is once a quarter. So once July mm-hmm. hits, we'll bring you back. But before we go, the final question of Talking with Tarashik podcast always goes to the guest. So, Mr. John Cooper, anything you want to ask me, my friend? The time is now. Oh, I uh, I should have prepared for this. <laughs> um, no, um. Uh, I guess the uh, thing to ask you is, you know, you, you run a lot of podcasts. If I were to do a podcast, someone who, you know, is listening to my content, I already told you I'm doing the roundtable news discussion. But if I were to make a podcast, what would your advice be? Uh, just start. Just just start. Just literally what you do. There's multiple ways you can do it. So if you want to do it the quick way, um, you have like you, you did like four or five clips on um, the, the what happened in New York City subway, right? The guy who was murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. you could you could just do a solo show and just talk about that and like throw to those clips and like do that mm-hmm. that kind of a thing. You could also just do a solo show and just start talking, or you could do mm-hmm. what you're already doing, kind of just talk with people and have guests on and people who would disagree with. Like, I had people in my comments on TikTok, like, "Hey, man, come on the show, let's talk." And they were great. There was one of them was actually a former uh, former veteran. He was an Air Force mechanic, really cool guy. So I would say this: the thing you do is it's like you already have an audience too, but you do on TikTok. It's very hard for TikTok to leave TikTok and follow you elsewhere. So you're mm-hmm. gonna be starting from scratch no matter what you do. But the best advice oh, yeah. is just start. You know, you already have your persona, you have your voice, you have your content. Just start. Recycle your content. Um, and when you do the podcast you're going to have other pieces of content. Like there's going to be plenty of clips you can cut here of just you explaining things that you can put on your TikTok, you know, just tag me, shit like that. 
So the best thing to do is just yeah. to, just just to start. You know, you you already did the hard part. You built an audience and you have a topic and you're yeah. good at it and you did all the thinking behind it. Like I was I did want to ask you like how hard it is to grow with the algorithms on um this kind of topic because YouTube's going to do you no favors. YouTube is because you're independent news. YouTube is going to pretend you don't exist and push you down in the algorithm on purpose. So be aware of that. Um, oh yeah. But that's I've been I've been trepidatious about I've been starting to put shorts on YouTube. Yeah. And I'm I've been I've written a couple uh, videos that I have to get around to making. So hopefully I can get around it, but you know, I as you said that 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 what I'm focused on right now, I'm growing, expanding different channels because of TikTok goes like, the whole TikTok bill is scaring the crap out of me. Oh, but yeah. like I I have migrated my audience to Instagram relatively successfully. Um, and so I feel a lot better about that now. So now it's about trying to monetize and stop working a day job eventually. <laughs> um, that would be the dream. That is the dream. Although not my dream. I love my day job. I never, I never want to leave my day job. I'm totally cool with talking with Tarashik being like secondary income, like an emergency savings fund. But, um, mm -hmm. Hey man, I understand this, this shit is fun. Talking to microphone is fun. Now, excuse me while I go and cut a billion clips for this. So. Um, <laughs> Mr. John Cooper, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Um, it was great having you. I'm glad, I'm glad I remembered you from Hofstra and I finally had the balls to ask you to come on the podcast, but we did a great job. So one last time, anything you want to plug, anything you want to share, anything you want to say, my friend, the floor is yours. Yeah. As I said, be kind out there to people always, uh, in, in any political discourse, assume that the person you're talking to is just a a kid online who needs better, better teachers, right? <laughs> um, if you, if you want to follow me, like what I said, as I mentioned before, I'm counterpoint politics on TikTok, counterpoint underscore politics on Instagram. Um, follow me there and be on the lookout for the, the left wing coming soon um, to a, uh, a podcast and a YouTube channel near you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Will Tarash. That's T as in Thomas, A-R-A-S-H-U-K. This has been a Talking with Tarash podcast. If you want to be a guest, reach out to me at will at APSpodcast.com. It's will at APSpodcast.com, and we'll have you on the show. As long as you make me go, ooh, that's interesting, I will bring you on the podcast. We'll talk for an hour. You get copies of everything I create because my podcast is a service to you, not only the listener, you the guest. Uh, next week, I'm speaking to Ryan Sullivan. I know I made this plug last week, but I made a mistake and. It's actually next week. A man who's been podcasting for quite a while. He runs a podcast principles company. We'll talk a lot about podcasting, the industry, um, what his business is, and how we can help each other. So that's going to be a lot of fun because podcasting is also a networking tool. Don't forget that. We'll be there next week. We'll see you there. But until then, y'all take care.